Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. Tim Heiderick. Today we have a returning guest, Mike Rosen, uh, artist, author, pornographer, visionary. Lethargic American. Welcome, Mike. Hi. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Mike? We're talking about uh, free to be you and me. Mike, what is free to be you and me? Well, Free to Be You and Me is uh, or was um, kind of a, a project put together by, what, what is it, the Ms. Foundation uh, to teach yes. the children of 1973 uh, that they didn't have to um, adhere to the strict gender roles of the past. But in fact, in the future, boys could be stewardesses and girls can be pilots and you can be anything you want to be. You could be free to be uh, you or me. <laughs> it was very forward-thinking for the time. Yes, and yeah, cer- yeah, and certainly, um, close to forty-five years later, um, we live in a completely egalitarian, gender-neutral society. So I would say that uh, the work was done. Yeah, I mean, it, well, I think that it's only important that we discuss, you know, the the free to be you and me as the inception of our sort of forward-looking society that's <laughs> become so pervasive. No, good job, Marlo Thomas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And- um for those who don't know, Marlo Thomas was uh, the daughter of TV comedian Danny Thomas. Uh, she had her own sitcom called That Girl in the 60s. Oh, That Girl. Exactly. Oh, okay. Because um, I was, I saw Marlo Thomas, and who is this girl? That Girl. Ah, all right. <laughs> and then uh, she also went on to marry Phil Donahue. Everyone's oh, dream. She, yeah, I saw that on, uh, on Wikipedia, and that seemed kind of odd. I guess I should say... She had the choice of her own volition to marry Phil Donahue. Because Alan Alda was already taken. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. Alan Alda's involved in this, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. this is this uh, this uh, show is kind of a, a murderer's row of television talent. Of course, um, the reason that Marlo could put this whole thing together is because she was a TV star who was, you know, connected in media because she came from a showbiz family. So... You know, we got, you know, besides Alan Aldo, we got Mel Brooks, we got Rosie Greer, the, the L.A. Rams player, uh, Michael Jackson, a very young Michael Jackson, Chris Christopherson, uh, Roberta Flack, um, just every, like, every major star of the 70s you could think of. All compliments of the, uh, of Media Connections and the deep pockets of the Miz Foundation. Yeah. Um, the, the, the deep state of... Uh... <laughs> Steinem's media empire. Yeah, and I guess for um, to clarify, uh, the Miz Foundation is it's uh, an entity separate from the magazine. Um, people know of Miz like the the feminist magazine, which still exists to this day. But I guess um, one of the purposes of the Miz Foundation is to do this kind of, I guess, like um, cultural education, kind of the, in the vein of, of Sesame Street. In fact, a Sesame Street producer uh, was involved in this show, Carol Hart. 
Um, but also, uh, it does have a very Sesame Street vibe to it. It's it kind does. of primetime mm. Sesame Street. Yeah, and um, also involved were um, as a uh, as a consultant was Letty Cotton Pagrebin, who is part of Ms. Magazine and also a, a noted oh, second wave okay. feminist. Um, yeah, that's interesting because um, when I was a kid, uh, we had the book because, like you said, this is a media project. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember the book very distinctly, and I can vis- envision a lot of the illustrations in my head. Um, just you know, uh, having when I watched the special, like oh yeah, I remember most of this. Um, and it was always kind of like just in our house as sort of a thing we had. And I didn't realize until I watched it for this uh, thing we're doing now that this was such a huge deal. I thought it was just a thing that my weird hippie parents had. <laughs> yeah, apparently it um, was had this massive kind of cultural impact because it started off as a record um became a book and then a um incredibly successful emmy winning television show soon to be a major motion picture i don't know <laughs> but yeah and i mean people still remember it to this day you know a lot of people like you know know all the words to the songs and stuff like that uh mike what did you think of the book when you were growing up um so i um I mostly just, I just, we just had it in my house. I, we never read most of it. Um, so I didn't really have a whole lot of, um, feelings for most of the book one way or the other. Uh, I didn't realize as a kid that it was mostly about gender stuff. I, I didn't really pick up on that cause I was kind of dense. Uh, the main thing is <laughs> when I was a kid. Hmm? <laughs> well, it's cause Mike was oh. always so woke that he didn't need the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Was... Well, mainly it was because my dad only read uh, one segment of the book to us, which was the Great One and the Pain, which is not in the uh, the um, TV special version. Right. It's only in the book, and that's really a story about like a girl and her brother fighting. So it's really more. It happens to be a girl and a boy, but it's mostly about like sibling rivalry. Has right. nothing really to do about girls and boys. So I didn't really pick up on that. And the other thing about the book that I found fascinating was the bit where the, uh, you know, the, the tiger is eating the girl because there's an illustration of the tigers ha- after, after having eaten the girl where they have like extended stomachs. And as a child, I was like, oh, this is very interesting. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who heard our episode on Raggedy Ann and Andy, A Musical Adventure, uh, we discuss in depth uh, the formation of Mike's youthful sexuality, and you'll understand why that was important. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you never know how someone something's going to like strike a particular child. And uh, well, here we we bear the fruits of that strike you right in the gut. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, if you want more on that, go watch uh, the, the list of Raggedy Ann and Andy episode to get the uh, the have you seen this deep lore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so a rich um, media buffet, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> the delicious Italian feast of podcasts. <laughs> Oh, oh, I just think that's interesting. Um, Mike's going to do drawing of a, a fat Marlo Thomas now. Another one? <laughs> I guess what we should talk about now is how we came to see it, um, because this is actually kind of an interesting story. Um, I was always aware of the special, but I'd never seen it. Um and I guess it is available on home media. Like the, I don't think this the record has ever been out of print. Like obviously it would be on CD now. Um, you can get it on DVD. But uh, Tim, can you tell the story of how we acquired a copy of this? Yeah. Well, the weird thing is that I actually have no um, like childhood awareness of Free to Be You and Me. 
Um, this is something that like you and Mike really specialize in, but my angle on this is that um, we were at uh, WonderCon a few uh, months back and they had, there was one of the vendors had a bunch of like obsolete media, which I'm a huge fan of. And one of the things was he had, it's like a laser disc of um, like Tron or something, but, um, but it wasn't a laser disc and I had to ask the guy what it was. It was a CED, a capacitive electronic disc. It's basically a video record. And so, yeah, this unusual thing, and he didn't have a player in, or anything for it. He just had the discs. Um, so this, you know, like um, like tigers uh, devouring a small girl and being inside their stomachs, this <laughs> left a similar impression on me um, uh, where uh, I'm like, well, I want to find one of these CED players because, uh, you know, I found out about it. It, had, it was a, a product that had a long gestation time that was ultimately – eclipsed by VHS around the same time. But um, Jen and I were in a record store, and sure enough, on the top shelf was a CED player, and asked the clerk about it. It was like 40 bucks, mm-hmm. not, not something you can buy on a whim. And, um, and, because, and also the clerk is like, oh, you know, you can get like 10 discs with that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so it's an instant library. Um, I didn't select hmm. free to be you and me, but Jen later found it when you picked up the player for me. Yeah, because um, the thing that I should clarify is it the this the way that it happened. It wasn't just like, oh, Tim found the player and the disc and said, "I'm going to buy this." There was this long there was this day long period of agonizing over whether it was stupid to throw money away on this completely obsolete format. Because it is. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it because is because this is literally. Um, and we're we're actually going to do a video on this format uh, yeah. for um, you, the listener, because if yeah, if you're not familiar with it, yeah, because if, you know, many of you have probably seen a laser disc, which is basically like a, it's I a guess, giant CD. It's yeah, a record size CD. Yes, yeah, so you could describe it as a large analog CD because laser disc is actually an analog format. This we, is, we had an argument about that. Yeah, and I turned out to be right. Which is unusual. <laughs> um, well, according to Marlo Thomas, women can also be right. Well, hey, a stop clock is right twice a day, too. So. <laughs> but anyway, um, if uh, we'll show this to you in a video at yeah, some we'll, point. Yeah, we'll post it on, um, the, uh, uh, on the Twitter. But this is, a really, this is a really fascinating format because it's basically, you know, it's about um, maybe a little larger than... Uh, it's, LP it's, size. it's a little bigger than an LP, yeah. Yeah, a little bigger than LP. It comes in a plastic shell, and you insert the plastic out, the plastic yeah, case yeah. into the player. The inside disc comes out and is played with a specialized stylus. Yeah, it's a diamond-tipped stylus that plays the video. And I, I looked up the bandwidth on it. There is actually, of course, there's a website that details all the technical information about it that probably isn't worth going into. But What a fascinating modern age we live in. Yes. Um, but well, yeah, this delights dorks like us, of course. Right. The problem, of course, being that you could only get an hour on it. You mm-hmm. know, it was read only. Um, the thing is bigger than an LP. Yes. And you could just get a VHS, which is you know a little bit bigger than an eight track, which you can put six hours of video on and record over it. So yeah, the unfortunate carry, thing is um, that sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the unfortunate thing is that you know it, it again, like I said, it, it eclipsed the the popularity of the the CED. So now it exists as this sort of obsolete format that came onto the market around the same time that something else was already ready to supplant it. Yeah, and one thing that I have to say, because I had to go back to the record store to pick this up for Tim, um, the player, carrying the player was bad enough because that old shit is heavy, 
carrying 10 CED, <laughs> um, I guess I should say CEDs because CED disc is redundant. These things are fucking heavy. These were a bitch to carry out of the store. And uh, again, because it's uh, 30 minutes aside, a lot of the... No, um, it's 60 minutes aside. 60 minutes still. aside, I'm sorry. Um, so a longer movie, like, for example, uh, the dub of Das Boat, or as we would call it, The Boat, yeah, is, yeah. On, is on two CEDs. Yeah. Uh, the Lord of the Rings uh, by Ralph Bakshi, two CEDs. Yeah. So, you know, you, you watch it on side A, then you flip it to side B, and then you put in the third disc, and mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. It's it's a complete end-to-end media experience. So, yeah, and so um, when I was picking out the discs... Uh... Oh, yeah, and the other thing, too, is that you don't stack them like pizza boxes because the... You'll fuck up the discs. Yeah, because the, the discs, the, the grooves in it are so fine that, like, friction or or weight can, can scratch the disc. And even some of these, like, playing them back, yeah, they... They skip a little, yes. just like an analog disc would. Yeah. Um, so when picking these out, um, I spotted this copy of Free to Be You and Me. And I was like, well, this is absolutely perfect because I have a podcast about uh, kind of forgotten media. Um, and I can't think of a more forgotten medium than a, a capacitance electronic disc yes. <laughs> uh, with a uh, old TV special on it. And that is how we came to see Free to Be You and Me. Uh, so now that we've uh, caught ourselves up on how we came here, um, yeah, let's talk about the the contents of the video itself. Yeah, so um, I would like to go through this. Um, yeah, we didn't watch the Side B feature, which is... Uh, Mandy's grandmother. Yeah, it's a companion <laughs> oh, piece sounds- to William's doll. Yeah. Which Jen has an emotional history with. We'll we'll get to Williams Doll. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the show. So um, we open with uh, the titular track. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's Marlo and Mel Brooks as um, as two puppet babies discovering. Uh, uh, I'm uh, sorry. Am I They're not ahead? cute. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you're saying, it's Mel Brooks and Marlo Thomas as puppet babies. They look like those those kind of rubber things that they used to sell, you know, those rubber ugly faces. <laughs> so they weren't in, they weren't on the level of a cabbage patch kid. I don't know, they kind of look like regular babies to me. <laughs> they I I don't like those babies. Those were terrible. I do not want to be kind to those babies. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh yeah, they basically actually interestingly, uh those babies were puppeteered by uh what's his face? Um, flowers. Yes, the the Madam's place guy. Yes, um, which you probably won't know about unless you're oh, well over forty. We're we're on the cusp yeah. of that. I bar- I barely <laughs> know who the fuck Waylon Flowers is. Um, he had a puppet called Madam. Um, and which, I guess which he... is like if you if you did like a devil doll onto Dame Edna, you get <laughs> you get Madam. That's a perfect description. Like, yeah, it was kind of a campy uh, puppet act, basically. But he also yeah. did these horrible little rubbery lemon-headed babies. Yeah, I, um, I really hate these babies. Um, the intro, the babies are like a recurring kind of motif throughout this. They keep re- returning to the babies, yeah. and they you know do a few things. The intro piece is um, uh, a bit that was also in the book, uh, where the two babies are discussing whether they're boys or girls because yes. they don't know. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, the one the one baby is saying like, oh, I think I'm a girl because I want to be a cocktail waitress when I grow up. So you must be a boy. And the other baby's like, I don't I don't think so. I I don't know. What, what? And they're like, but I want to be a fireman. Uh, and then at the end, um, uh, you know, they they come. The nurse comes to change their diapers, and they're like, oh, uh, I guess I am a boy. And <laughs> the other one's like, I'm a girl. I I want to say though this this was in the book. But it was all done as a dialogue between a high voice and a low voice. And then, you know, at the end mm-hmm. they say, oh, you know. But it plays out exactly the same as these puppet babies do it. Yeah, because they're sort of like, well, yeah, because the two of them, you know, they embody male and female. And they're sort of a, they, I, don't, I can close the door. Uh, yeah, and they, but they're coming from a perspective of, again, naivete. It was like, hey, I just got here. And, you know, like the Monty Python thing about let's not, not start imposing roles on it. It's like, well, yeah, they're trying to figure it out on their own. But it's like, well, let's not start from any restrictions. And those, again, that notion of not being restricted in how you express yourself or, you know, how you express your role does come, it does come back again in later vignettes. Yep. Like, I don't want to rush ahead, you know, to the animated one about the princess, but that is, that's still to come. So anyway, so um, these, uh, um, these blank slates uh, babies um kind of introduce us to some of the themes that will recur throughout the special. And the next thing um, that we see is uh, a song with uh, Michael Jackson and Roberta Flack. Talk about changing your identity. Whoa! And uh, the song is called When We Grow Up. Oh, yeah. It's, um... Yeah. That's that's a nice song. Well, I mean, a, I, I, when I watched like... it, I didn't really pick up on what it was really about other than, you know, I guess, I guess they talk about, do they talk about gender roles in this at all? No, I, I, mean, I forget. What, what they really, what they talk about is, you know, they say, you know, you don't have to change at all, like who you are, which again is kind of ironic coming from Michael Jackson. Yeah. Although, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe if he had a special when he was younger, he would have felt free to be <laughs> himself. See, if, if, if uh, Michael had had a copy of Free to Be You and Me when he was younger and if he hadn't had the shit beat out of him by his dad on a regular basis. Yeah, the two, the, <laughs> if, if those two things yeah. hadn't happened. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the, the point of the song is that you shouldn't feel like you have to change it all you know, to please other people, which does that need to be said? Okay. I guess for some that, people, that's does, pretty, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty safe sentiment, I would say. And that, yeah, I mean, I, that's pretty much every children's media that is, is about, you know, oh, be yourself. You know, that that's yeah. literally the lesson of every Disney movie. So, you know, um, can't can't really object to it too much. Yeah. And I guess I guess that's where you go with a lot of kids media where um, you're not going to get necessarily a particularly bold <laughs> message. And, yeah, you know, love your brother. Yeah, it should, and it should be said too, um, because the next segment um, is called "Parents Are Our People," and it has Harry Belafonte and Marlo Thomas in a film segment, kind of um, performing different jobs. You know, hot dog seller or doctor, or, you know, and, there, and there's well, one... yeah, and it's like he's uh, he's a traffic cop, and she's what like a and she's driving a car. Yeah. And then later in the sketch, it comes back, and he's driving a cab, and she's a traffic cop. And it's like anyone can be whatever it is they want to be. Yeah. And um, yeah. But the interesting thing about this segment... Which sets aside the whole notion of, uh, of 
whether one is ever truly able to completely express their you know uh, inner self and what constraints one has based on you know class and economic resources that's not interesting but <laughs> anyway go on <laughs> but um one thing that i should point out about the segment is that you have You're free to be what you're allowed yeah exactly you have um Harry Belaf- there's a, there's a scene with Harry Belafonte and Marley Marlo Thomas um, pushing baby carriages together, and um, some of the network people at ABC where the special was aired were very concerned about the segment because it looks like they're married, and you see Harry Belaf- Harry Belafonte. Wait, I have a question. Wait, is is that bad? Well, Harry Belafonte is a black man, and Marlo is a white woman, and oh. Marlo basically said, "This is my special." Fuck you. We're gonna we're gonna have it play as we filmed it. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of funny oh. for a couple mm. reasons. One, for all of us going like, oh, this is so like, uh, um, well, it's, it's so like safe and obvious. But then it's also like, oh, there are also people in positions of of media authority to be like, ah, oh, black guy and a white woman. Are we really sure about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just like like there was a time not too long ago where that was a serious issue. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is I don't recall any fallout from this. Yeah. Well, I guess I just don't see color, so, you know. Well, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> sure, it's not just the rose-tinted glasses. But, I mean, I mean, you could you could go on Twitter and you could literally find, like, a, a few hundred people in a couple minutes of searching who are extremely angry about interracial relationships. So how far have we come in 45 years or so? Yeah, it is. It, has this weird kind of back and forth because on the one hand it's like duh this is obvious but then on the Mm -hmm. other hand there are people who are like i really don't i'm not okay with that yes oh and also the other interesting um uh detail in that sketch is that uh groucho marx is still apparently like pervasive cultural figure yeah there's a part no yeah they're they have the glasses and the mustache and are waggling cigars yeah and again like michael jackson does a little bit of that in his thing too i'm just like yeah, Marx Brothers were a big deal Yeah, in the 70s. Yeah. Wasn't there, like, because I think you've talked about this in previous episodes, how the 70s kind of saw this, like, uh, this nostalgia for, like, old-timey vaudeville-type stuff, so... Well, yeah, there was a... In the 70s, there was a big um, nostalgia wave for... Um... Well, that's the way it always goes. It's always whatever was 30 years ago is suddenly interesting. Well, and specifically... Like 50s and the 80s. Specifically, at the time in the '70s, there was this uh, resurgence of interest in old Hollywood. So, like around 30 years prior. Yeah. Fine. Yes. <laughs> hey. Uh, also, but, I um, mean, it, it's not just like oh, like 30 years ago. I'm saying it was specific to uh, Hollywood and old movies and stuff like that. All right. You know, it wasn't just like everybody dressed up like they were. Um, you know, in the depression or something. Right. Yeah, we had to wait, <laughs> we had to wait till the '90s when people really got into the '20s. <laughs> but anyway, less said about that though. So, you know what's great about this segment though? What? Uh, I love Marlo Thomas's like you know that that kind of folk singer hair. You know that that ironed uh, folk singer hair thing she's doing. Like yeah. Sonny and Cher. Yeah, I like that. They should bring that look back. <laughs> That's not related to anything. I just really dig that look. So I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, she, that's a pretty hair. She's got some pretty hair. Yeah, it's funny because uh, around the same time, it's not just Cher, but my mom had that hairstyle. Aww. Yeah, well, oh. she was she was with it. Tim's mom is a person, too. Yes. 
<laughs> you know, I think my mom had that hairstyle actually in those days too. All right, high five. We had some yeah. cool moms. My mom always had short hair, so. Yeah, what <laughs> happened to us, though? That's a problem. Yeah, we're fuck ups. Anyway, um, so the next segment. So, Marlo Thomas and Harry Belafonte. Yes. And again, like. Hanging to be, out together. To be threatened by Harry fucking Belafonte. <laughs> of all people. <laughs> like, who, who. It's not exactly Rudy Ray Moore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, such were the times, and such are the times in some ways, even today. Yeah. Um, so, so you know that's um, you know that's a segment about um, I guess the different uh, roles that mommies and daddies can have. Yeah, it's like who who pissed in his lime coconut? Trust a hairy guy. <laughs> so the next segment is. An animated one called Ladies First. Um, which I oh, hey. A... Which I recognize that one. Yeah, I actually did recognize this one because I, my um, parents, you might remember my mom who has the long straightened chair, 70s hair. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, my parents, uh, we had a couple of Shel Silverstein book of poems. And one of them was about, you know, Pamela Peirce who, you know, yelled Ladies First. And she, and this is a great, examination of you know uh, feminism and privilege because you know Pamela Peirce always says ladies first until like something bad happens and it's like all right well to the front of the line with you and you know I thought it was a ripoff until the end credits and you know there's a writing credit for Shel Silverstein and you're like oh okay well there it is <laughs> um so yeah it's a cartoon about a uh a, just a, a bratty princessy horrible little girl who always yeah. needs, uh, you know, exceptions made for her, who wants special treatment, who, you know, can't be bothered to, like, you know, put in the same amount of work as everyone else, um, you know, and demands to be put on a pedestal and, and until such a time as her and her class, I guess, they go to, they just go on an unsupervised field trip to the jungle. Because, <laughs> you, you know, do. Yeah, yeah it, it's second grade. We did that a lot. Um, and you know they happen upon a um, a pack of sentient tigers, and yeah. you know and they tie her up and she's like, well I should be uh, I should be untied first and you know one of the tigers signals to the other one with a a big uh, New Yorker cartoon style cauldron, uh, <laughs> uh, is you know ready to cook them up and be like oh this one wants to go first, yep, so it it really is um, I think instructive uh uh no it's it's illustrative of uh sort of culturally responsible second wave feminism of the decade which is to say feminism isn't just about ladies first because yes. look at what's what this bitch gets when she tries to act like that <laughs> and it's saying so, yes uh, like like be proud of yourself but don't be a chauvinist basically well, yeah, and she's also um, she's also depicted as um, again, like you said, very princessy. Um, she makes a point of remarking upon her immaculate dress and stockings, yeah, and beautiful golden hair. So um, this is kind of a this is kind of a, a caricature of again, fem yes, femininity put on a pedestal. Yeah, because which it's is in... contrary to the feminism of the time. I thought this one was kind of weird because. Um... Well, first of all, it's a Shel Silverstein, 
So, you know, he's not really known for morals. He's just like, I like making fun of prissy people. So this one felt kind of shoehorned in. And they were kind of like, oh, yeah, it's uh, this is girls being a bitch. Yeah, throw that in. That has that's that's about gender. Um, <laughs> but but well, uh, like, I also mm-hmm. does it seem to you like this was kind of a um, like maybe they felt like they had to make this point because they were making this kind of overtly feminist special. They have to be like, no, well, we don't want to say that we're supposed to be better than men. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to be put on that pedestal. I, I, yeah. I would at least give them the credit to think that that was an issue in their, um, in sort of their philosophy that was worth addressing. Yeah, I think, I think they, they were like, well, they, they were, they knew that if they didn't put this in, they'd get a lot of people saying, oh, what, what, what about, uh, what, what about women are bitches? What about that? Um, I mean, I will give them though, enough. Though here's the thing is, I saw this special when I was in, a kid in third grade. They showed it to us. And I remember seeing it and being like, when I recognized what it was, I was like, oh, shit, this is free to be you and me. I can't wait for this tiger shit to happen. And, <laughs> um, and two things. Um, when I saw it in third grade, it turned out to be an edited, ver- edited version, okay. which did not include this segment. So I was super pissed off because um, it started with uh, the babies reasons. doing the Be Kind to Babies number and, and didn't have anything before that. And the second thing is when I finally saw this whole thing as an adult and saw this bit, I was like, well, it's not fucking hot. They don't even show the tigers eat her. <laughs> not, not only is it a story without a moral, but there isn't an erotic scene at the end. Yeah, there's no payoff, basically. Yeah. It's like, where's the money shot? Um, (laughs) Also, they aged her down because in the book, they were adults. She was like an adult. Really? Um, Okay. Well, I remember Pamela Purse being like a fourth grader, but I mean, that's probably because I was a fourth grader at the time. Oh, yeah. The version in this is, it's like an adapted version because they never mention her name, right? No. I mean, I'm, I'm pulling that from my memory of the book, which again, may be completely incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they said it's based on a Silverstein poem. I don't, but I think they probably, yeah, they, they probably, uh, um, edited it to make it more universal maybe. Yeah. Well, it's all, it also like, it isn't important to the story because you aren't going to be like, Oh, this person's being a real Pamela purse. Just like, all right, <laughs> we should and, bring it back. Yeah. yeah the, the point is a bitch gets what's coming to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, though actually, I also thought when I watched it, I was like, "Well, they ate her first, but they're going to eat all of them, right?" So she really well, we, doesn't we make a difference. That's that's open ended. We don't know. Well, because yeah, I think, that, that is... I, I think that they ate her to make uh, to have an example for the other children. Like the the terror oh, okay, makes the so... meat that much. Also, sweeter. I like in the animated version where they were like, "It's that very kind of puffy '70s animation, you know, kind of Schoolhouse Rock." Yeah. Where they're like, yeah. what do tigers look like? They kind of look like blue meanies, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, the animation was done by the Murakami Wolf Studio, um, which I think they did. They did some TV stuff and also um, some uh, like credit sequences for uh, movies and things like that. Oh, huh. What um, movies? So I guess I guess they did all the animation for this uh, TV special. But yeah, um, it is very seventy. So anyway, so um, so this chick gets uh, this chick gets eaten by tigers, and then um, there's this brief interstitial where uh, the babies return and they're having a bath. Ugh, yeah, these fucking babies. <laughs> and and that one, there isn't like really any moralizing to that one. Like it's all a payoff of 
like how people talk baby talk to babies. It doesn't yes. mean anything. And the babies are like, oh, it's just yeah. crap talk. Yeah. It's like, huh, they aren't sentient like us infants. <laughs> they just adults speak nonsense. Oh, the babies are so wise. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of reversal in that because it's it's an easy you know. You might say it's from the mouths of babes. Oh. <laughs> but then uh, the next segment is another animated one called uh, Dudley Pippin and the Principal. And... Oh, this was in the book. This was yes. in the book. Uh, what's the theme of this one, Mike? Uh, this is that it's okay to cry because basically Dudley Pippin is a kid. I think he, he spills his paint in, in class and gets, you know, yelled God, at. Mike and as he's coming home, it. he meets the principal. <laughs> oh, is this? <laughs> the whole point of the sketch is that he's been wrongly convicted. Oh, that's right. He doesn't do it. Some kid spills it on him, right? Yeah. Jeez, Mike. Now you're misremembering the whole thing. What was this even about? God. Now you see well, where the, Tim gets it. Tim has always had a keenly um, evolved sense of injustice, stemming well, he from he is a middle his, child. Stemming from his days as a middle child, yes, right, which persists yeah. to this well, day. Yeah, mm-hmm. enough. Well, the point is, as he's he's leaving, he runs into the principal, who is kind of a I I don't know. He he's kind of a guy who looks like he should be like in a barbershop quartet or possibly like, you know, selling, selling snake oil on an old West show or something. Yeah, for whatever um, reason, the, the principal of the school is a mustachioed dandy. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. Try, he came by trying to sell a monorail to the city elders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, Dudley, it looks like you've been wrongly convicted of spilling something. I bet you would like to cry. And <laughs> Dudley's like, no, and then he cries. And the principal was like, that was very well done, Dudley. It's like okay, um, and uh, then the only way they basically with other people. <laughs> and then at the end, they go see Mister Owl to see how many licks it is to the center of a tootsie. Pot. <laughs> <laughs> like the principal tells him, like actually, uh, no, Dudley's like only sissies cry. The principal is like actually a sissy is someone who won't cry because he thinks he'll be called a sissy. Confused? So is everyone. Here's my <laughs> recorder. <laughs> and then it kind of ends. And then he and uh, this... leads him on a psychedelic boat ride into his candy factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, it's like well, this guess... is a segment that, like, you know, there's nothing. It's it's pretty okay. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's good to teach kids not that, that it's okay to cry. I, I approve of everything in this. I just it's kind of weird where it's like the principal's like, yeah, here's my flute. We're gonna listen to some music now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the music was of... so beautiful that he wept. He, it's 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 okay to be overcome with Stendhal syndrome is the point. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, well, you know, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm being unfair because really, when you think about it, this is a difficult topic to really like treat in a, um, you know, kids media without being completely like I don't know, uh, just patronizing or you know, ham fisted or stupid. So this is a fairly well, you know, well done treatment of the idea and you know yeah and probably too because in a later segment it's um it's tough to get like genuine nuanced emotions out of kids when marla thomas is quizzing a bunch of them about brothers and sisters but we can get to that yeah we'll get to that one because um this is this is essentially because you know we're not we're not done considering uh the notion of masculine gender roles in the prison that they often become because the next segment is called it's all right to cry and it features Former L.A. Rams uh, defensive lineman and knitter Rosie Greer. 
Yeah, singing about how it's okay to cry. Yes. And the gigantic, if the gigantic man says it's okay to cry, then it must be okay to cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all get behind that. It is I mean, kind of a nice little song. Again, it, yeah. I think, you know, the point being it shows strength, it requires strength to show vulnerability. And also, um, it's pretty funny because um, when I was uh, doing some research about uh, this show, um, there was an article, a three-part article in Slate where they where they talked to a lot of the participants um, about the, the record and the book and the program. And even, you know, in 2016 or whenever they did the interview, like Rosie Greer actually got like really vehement about the idea that little boys should be allowed to cry. He said, you know, who are he basically saying, who are you to tell a little boy that his pain is not real, that he's not allowed to feel his pain? Yeah, or just to deny an element of, like, the emotional experience to an entire gender. Exactly. And he felt very passionate about this. That's cool, actually. I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, similarly, that reminds me of some study I came across a while ago that was, it was just a a cross-generational study of um, uh, student photos. And you see, like, kindergarten and first grade, everyone's smiling. Then by second and third grade, no boys smiling. Oh. Yeah. Oh. You don't smile. Man. Wow. Yeah. That's sad. If you think that's sad, let's talk about William's Doll, the next segment. Ah! <laughs> yeah, um, William's Doll is an interesting one because it came from a, um, it came from a children's book, um, made it into this special as a segment about a little boy who wants a doll, and was later, a, a few years later, was made into an educational short um, that they later rift on rift tracks um and i have to say i cannot fucking watch the short because i become a blubbering emotional mess well you every got time. you got to say as much to them yes one time didn't you yeah we 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 met uh mike kevin and bill and we were able to talk about how we were emotionally devastated by william's doll because it is it is really yeah, it, it's touching and sad for a couple of reasons i mean yeah you know it's you want to allow the kid to be true to his nature but it comes into conflict with like how his parents envision how he should behave and society at large even yeah i mean you know the parents definitely representing the status quo and the kid representing you know the sort of genuine self it's saying like this is the kind of person that i want to be yeah and um it's one of those things where like i and i think that i mentioned this on the show before where um like I think it's it's generally true that um, maybe if little kids don't necessarily cry at movies, but adults tend to cry at movies because there is um, so much more emotional nuance to what we're seeing. Yeah, like you understand the gravity and the pathos of yes, it. Yes, that's exactly it. Thank yeah, because it isn't because you're watching it as an adult and you're like, this isn't just about a doll. Yeah. Like this is about <laughs> like so many other things that are important to me and my identity. Yes, because um, the way that it's presented in the the TV special is it's a fairly simple animated segment where you know William wants a doll. His dad's not sure about him getting a doll. I think it, you know he buys him some typical boys' toys, you know, like sporting equipment stuff like that. Yeah, this is the stuff you need to grow up normal. Yes, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, and but William still wants a doll, and then there's this repeating chorus of you know the other kids saying a doll, yeah, a doll. Like William wants chorus. a doll. Yeah. Um, now I find this easier to watch than um, the later film short because um, the in the film short 
the dad is much more upset about the idea that his little boy wants a doll. And um, as opposed to uh, the anime version where the grandmother intercedes on William's behalf, in the, in the film version, um, the grandfather takes William to buy a doll. And that's usually the point where I just, like, completely dissolve in tears because it's so, it's, it's touching. Yeah. The, unfortunate the, the book thing, is a grandfather, too. I remember that. Yeah, and I think that changing it to the grandmother does the story a disservice in this case because it does show an example of, like, if it's, you know, grandfather to father to grandson, it, it kind of keeps it uh, established within the sort of, you know, men's business sphere. And it also does yeah. provide a lesson to the father, which is to say, you know, the grandfather, like, I know about being a father and I know about being a man and I know more about it than you do. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a lesson for the father, not just the son. Yes. So, yeah. 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 So having that be the grandfather, I think is much more poignant. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, no, can, I, I can, I, think I can make point. it through the animated segment. Like I can't, I can't watch the short film. I just can't. It's just too emotional for me. Yeah. <laughs> the, the funny thing in, that Jen brought attention to in this is that, the kid's talking to his grandmother in this, and he's like, yeah, I like sports and I like baseball and blah, 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 because, um, you know, Jen interpreted it as meaning to say, yeah, I'm still, in so many words, a straight kid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a normal boy. I like baseball. Yeah, because I guess, and, and Jen, you know, is like, well, why don't they, you know, go all that way? But then it's like, well, it's like that, you know, comedy saying, it's like it's a hat on a hat. Well, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect anything else from the time necessarily. Well, also too, it's like it's, it isn't just about one thing. It's like okay, now it's about this other, like whole other thing that we got to get involved. Well, yeah, and the question of, uh, you know, that's not to say it isn't worth talking about, but it's like it's, it's confusing if it's one more thing beyond that thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, this is a fairly simple story about a little boy who wants a doll. Yeah, to then. To be like, well, some boys also like other boys. It's like, well, I, where do we even? <laughs> well, yeah, nine, and nine... like, then the bottom just drops out of it. <laughs> well, and and you know, yeah. like you couldn't, you could not put that on the air in uh, 1974, which is you know unfortunate, but you know that's that's pro- probably and even Marlo wouldn't have been able to sell that. The the funny, <laughs> the the funny weird mm. irony is that, and I know I can't back this up with data, but I'm sure that there is like some off the cuff episode of like. Well, that's just like, like all in the family or uh, or Three's Company or something where they deal with that with a wink and a nod. Yeah, well, there was definitely um, examples of queer visibility in TV and cinema of the time. I mean, you know, certainly, um, you know, uh, you had um, gay roles appearing in you know the late '60s and on. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these roles were often you know kind of portrayed as you know with a little bit of a smirk or as a joke um yeah you know or even a movie like boys in the band is extremely hard to watch today because even though it's uh cast entirely it's entirely about gay men but these are extremely like self-lacerating self-hating gay men and you know queer culture has come so far from from there and but, I, I forget who did it but someone did like it was either a documentary or a or a like an essay about how like the gay character always dies. Yeah, I mean, I we'll have to follow up with what that is, but yeah, that's another thing worth looking into. Yeah, that's a, that's another trope which like often comes up in media. 
Yeah. Is there's no there's never any happy ending for the queer characters. Right. Or, but I mean again yeah. that's because it's a lifestyle that is ultimately at odds with where society is. Which yeah. like you can't you can't reintegrate. Yeah. Basically. They, they, there's an unwillingness to, to fit it in, basically. Right. Yeah. Wow, we are totally off the point of William's Doll. Mike, did you how do you feel about the segment William's Doll? Um, well, I mean I think the same uh, well, yeah, like you said, it's kind of like this this whole thing. It, it's it's interesting because uh, obviously, like most parents, I think are like, yeah, we're not going to give our kid a doll because that'll make him gay, you know. Right. And so that's kind of the unspoken issue here, which they just they they can't address. Um, and I, I, you know, it's one of those things like I don't know if it's they. I, I assume they were aware of that sort of thing, you know, even back then. I don't, you know, I'm not going to say they're so naive they didn't know about that. But mm-hmm. like you said, it's just something you you can't put on TV. Uh, the, the powers that be would have been like, yeah, you're, you know, even if there is some queer visibility at that time period, you're not. No, no networks would be like, yeah, you can tell kids it's okay to be gay. It's yeah. like they're they're not going to go for that. Um, so fact, I mean, just the fact that they actually. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was going to say the fact that they they went as far as they did in saying it's okay for boys to play with dolls is is pretty pretty revolutionary in itself for the time period, since that is almost um, you know like you said a a, a kind of a, 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 a almost a, a a fig leaf for for a bigger issue there. Yeah, and in fact, in the in in uh, both this animated segment and in the later short um a boy playing with a doll is framed as a preparation for his later role uh potentially as a father oh yeah that's right i forgot about that um so so they basically say like yeah you can play with a doll as long as there's like a reason for it you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah which and certainly I would say that, um, you know, in involved fatherhood is certainly a, a wonderful goal and certainly nurturing for a young boy is, is, you know, a great idea. Yeah. But I mean, this is also in a country where we don't even have like paternal leave. So yeah. it's just, of course, like the father wouldn't think anything of it. It'd be like, why would I want to be involved in my kid's life? Yes. And you I got know, an office to drink at. Yeah, and I mean, you know, today you'll still have people saying to dads, like, oh, it's so great that you're babysitting kids this weekend. Yeah, it's like, no, I'm a fucking father. Yeah, no, I'm parenting. It's what I do. Cripes. <laughs> uh, so. And Alan Alda sings in this. Yes. He's a character in that. And it's funny because uh, we were just uh, looking at Fear of a Black Hat the other day, and one of the lines in that is that, you know, the black man is like the original sensitive man way before Alan Alda. <laughs> Which is kind of my only like point of reference for Alan Alda being like a, a, a representative, representative of like, you know, the, the modern sensitive man. Well, yeah, because that's always kind of been um, Alan Alda's um, like uh, cultural fingerprint is like he is, he is the nape plus ultra of sensitive guy. Like yeah. sensitive enlightened 70s male yeah well good for him uh he's got his niche yeah and i here i thought he's just hawkeye but yeah um the the worst avenger uh hawkeye pierce of the avengers right (laughs) 
Yeah, remember when, uh, yeah. Re- remember on MASH when Hawkeye shot Radar with an arrow? Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> he finally, you know, he, well, he did it so that he could get, you know, a Section 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was Klinger. I'm mistaken. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought MASH, they went to a different war every week. <laughs> No, Mike. It was clearly about Vietnam, Korea. <laughs> but it was kind of Vietnam, wasn't it? I thought they were in fucking Grenada. Yeah, I don't know. They were in that. They were in the uh, the Burbank Hills War, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's where it was set. Obvious. Like they made it obvious. <laughs> the Spawn Ranch bombing of 1975. Oh man, yeah. The the media never recovered from that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so the next bit is we're back at the the two babies. Yes, and this uh, this one I believe Mike will want to talk about because this is be kind to a baby. Okay, so this is the bit that like when I was a kid and they showed this to us in third grade, it started right here, which makes me think that they deliberately cut out all the stuff about boys being able to cry and use and having dolls. Yeah, because you know that's pretty queer. Which is why you've always been such a stoic motherfucker. Well, you know, I'm 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 a strong silent type. Yeah, he um, doesn't fuck around. You know, I, I saw this in the late '80s, which you know was a kind of a reactionary time. So they were like, "Yeah, get rid of all that, like you know, all that sissy shit." Yeah. Um, what, what would What would Nancy Reagan say if he showed that in schools? You yeah. may as well just inject the children with AIDS yourself. She would just say no. <laughs> would say. But this this bit is the uh, the bit where the the babies. They they do a song where they're like be kind to be kind to a baby and they basically sing about how you should be kind to babies which has really no relevance to anything else in this special. Um, it's just you know be nice to babies. My t- my takeaway uh, from it is like, I, I I remember just as a kid being like oh I really hate these fucking babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked at it another way. Um, you know, because they say be kind of babies because you were once a baby yourself. Because you know, it's and I don't, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, um, what is it, abrasive, but like, you know, Jen hates babies, so it's like you were once a hateable baby yourself. <laughs> You're just like an ugly, stupid baby that didn't do anything, and people are like, like you know, like child-free couples would see you in your stroller with your parents and be like, ugh, <laughs> like miss me with that shit. <laughs> well, I do like the bit where they were like, uh, "No baby grows up without like help," and it's like these fucking parasites. <laughs> yeah, they're, like they're maybe you should bootstrap people. yourself up, babies. Yeah. Yeah, we should demol we should demolish the welfare state and the parasitic baby state. If you ask me. <laughs> yeah, we. Need, I got yeah. a real problem with big baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a good message. Be kind to a baby. I don't know who needs to hear it. <laughs> well, people who hate babies. I guess. I mean, this just feels like people saying, "Well, you know, if you say like, oh, I don't really like kids, you know, people will always say to you, oh, you were a kid yourself once. No, I, th- I think it's more a matter of like, you know, that thing that people always post on social media to passively aggressively complain about how other people don't know about the shit they're going through. I would read it as that to be like, to, to, to be like, Hey, you know, this person's like a a useless fuck up and be like, well, you know, there was a time where like, you couldn't like 
you know, focus both of your eyes at the same time. So like, <laughs> yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah, Tim, keep that in mind when you're being mean to me. Oh, you <laughs> keep screwing, quit screwing up. Like, <laughs> you want to have that. Um, the, the next bit, if we're ready to move on. Yeah, um, Mike, is, was there anything else you wanted to say about be kind to a baby? Just um, hate these fucking babies? D- disregard that well, message. Just don't be kind well, to be- <laughs> well, because this was this bit was not in the book. So when this came on, I was like, I thought this was free to be you and me. Why are these babies singing? Oh, Where's the like, fucking tigers? Yeah, this is non-canonical. This oh, is yeah. not. Yeah. And in fact, when um, I mentioned I mentioned to you and your wife that I found um, this disc, and I said like, look, I can rip this for you if you guys want to see it. And you were like, Oh, does it have be kind to a baby? Because yeah. you remembered seeing it in the special and not uh, reading it in the book. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't find like, this online, I believe, either. Yeah, though apparently the algorithm has changed because now all of a sudden it is online. Oh, well, there, um, we, we shifted yeah. the paradigm, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I guess, like, apparently, like, uh, YouTube finally decided it was going to show me something other than, like, Finger Family and uh, white supremacist videos. Uh, so now Be Kind to a Baby is findable. <laughs> Yeah, it truly runs the gamut. That's well, great. We're getting both sides now. Well, yeah, after the, <laughs> the, the 2018 wave of um, brutalistic anti-baby violence, they decided to uh, tweak the algorithm a little bit. Yeah. Well, usually they wait until they're in high school before they shoot them. <laughs> anyway, um, so the next segment is Atlanta. And, uh, Mike, I have to apologize because I think um, this segment got a little screwed up um, because the stylus was skipping on, on the the disc well yeah it's a it's a dead format oh like a 40 year old media player yeah so. we noticed that yeah we were like watching it and we're like because i know this is a little this one's got a little fucked up um well, again it's but not like uh we figured out what was going on the, yeah. the you know it wasn't like the plot was so involved that we were confused yeah um, it wasn't like crawl or anything <laughs> yeah crawl is uh got a lot of nuance so um there's a lot going uh, on. but this I'm was what adult Atlantia, right? That was the name of it. Atlanta. Yeah. Can you give us the gist of and Atlanta, Mike? I love this. Yes. Bit, by the way. So it's um it's the role that Alan Alda was born to play. Um, he narrates the story of Atlantia, who is a strong, independent woman who is also intelligent, she and no um man. her dad is oh she's a princess by the way. Her dad is all like you're gonna get married because I'm an asshole king from a fairy tale, and she's like father, I want to go on adventures and and do science wait a and minute he's like, this is basically well, disenchantment from netflix yeah it basically is <laughs> well yeah it, that's... Well, well you know what it is every deconstruction of a fairy tale ever yeah. um, they're no, all exactly this story <laughs> um but then well, the well, king really is like okay know... well they didn't say they didn't say he's an asshole king they do specifically say he was an average king yeah, which is like, That's... ooh. Yeah, just like, <laughs> damn. My mediocre father, ruler of all the land. <laughs> oh my god, he was the first mediocre white man. He was the he was King Failson. <laughs> they, they didn't say it as much, but that was his name. <laughs> but anyway, how does the story play out, Mike? Well, well, Atlantia wants to like do you know uh, not princessy things, and the king is like, okay, I got this plan. I'm gonna have a race, and whoever wins this race gets the hand of my daughter. And um, Atlantia is like, I'm gonna win this race. And meanwhile, John, who is I don't know what he's like a a, a peasant. He's all like, I'm gonna win this race. <laughs> so they both 
practice really hard, and they both run in the race, and Atlantia wins, and um, the king is like, well, John, you came in second, so as the first failure, you get to marry my daughter. Yeah, it's like, and, well, um, the first He says, actually, I just ran in this race because I want to talk to her and get to know her as a person. And Atlantia says, oh, I would like that too. Let's, let's talk, but um, also... And then they decide they hate uh, each other. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It turns out that they both share similar interests beyond uh, running and beating each other in races. Yeah, they're both and... spiteful overachievers. They're perfect for each other. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, this is a great story because it's like, it's a good thing that uh, the, the winner of this race happened to, or sorry, the, the first loser happened to be as woke as Atalantia. Because the, <laughs> because well, the fact think... that she actually won is never addressed. Well, the point, I think an important point should be made about the race is that um, for uh, uh, at the um, apex of the race, they're running together and in, enjoying the running of the race together. Which Just I like think Animal is, Olympics. Well, I think it's a, did you say Animal Olympics? Like Animal Olympics, Animal Olympics. <laughs> you know, that, that classic cartoon also of the 70s. Oh yeah, because the, the, there's a whole race where two furries fall in love in Animal Olympics. That's right. You know what? That was that that race was that movie is very important for the furry community. It showed that carnivore personas and um, uh, ungulate personas can actually, you know, um, live together We're in harmony. This entire segment, right? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so um, I guess the point of uh, Atalanta is to show. Um... Well, she maintains her own agency, which is yes. important in a fairy tale, because you know, especially if you're, you know, a shitty internet feminist who's like yeah there's no way well yeah that's basically date rape and uh, just like well you get because yeah because um like the level of media criticism that that we get these days like especially online is is, fucking asinine is really terrible it's always like this this like inch deep um, it's whether or not extremely the, white liberal feminist reading of media. It's whether or not this makes me feel uncomfortable. Or, yeah, no. and it's mm. it's usually a thing like, oh well, this bad things happened to this character, so this was bad, and well, the person who made that. it was bad. Yeah, they probably hate this kind of person. But instead, in Atlanta, you get um, basically kind of a, a framework for uh, modern dating uh, between heterosexual couples. Yeah, where yeah. I mean, she isn't um, an object. Yes, you you find activities that you enjoy together. You get to know each other, and maybe you get married, or maybe you don't. Yeah, and that's kind of the yeah. weird ending to it. We're like, because again, like the video kind of glitched, and we didn't really yeah. follow along. So I'm like, wait, did they split up at the end? Or <laughs> like, yeah, and then they lived happily ever after in separate castles. Yeah. <laughs> well, it turned well, out know, that it turned out that they both had uh, Tinder accounts on the side. So um, I mean, they're keeping. You know, you're right. I mean, right now. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of you know being glib and making fun of this, but um, it honestly is a very you know it's it's a pretty good um, take on this uh, this uh, this now I say a trope. Probably in the '70s, the idea of a deconstruction of fairy tales was less you know uh, everyone's doing it. Um, well, when did um, though it's still when did um, that book of fairy tales uh, deconstructionist fairy tales come out? Uh, the Bloody Chamber. Have oh, read that? Uh, I. I am familiar with the movie that is based on three of the stories in there. Sorry, say again, Mike? I'm familiar with the movie that's based on three of the stories from The Bloody Chamber. Is that, um, uh, Company of Wolves? Yes. 
Yeah. Also okay. very important for furries. Okay. Um, Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter came out in 1979. So um, I guess it was these. Uh, this was kind of the era for second wave feminist deconstructions of fairy tales. Yeah. There's your um, this is probably about that. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's no Fantagiro, but you know, it's still pretty good. We should actually have you on for Fantagiro cuz there's a lot to unpack in it. You know, there are a lot yeah. of strong female characters in anime as well, I'd like to point out. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim, why don't you talk about your favorite anime, Robotech? You shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> Robotech. <laughs> Okay, so so I really is that like about this, robots? This is there robots in that one? That's with a giant robot, right? Yeah, they sit in the robots. Yes, you sit in the robots. <laughs> is that the one where they have? That's the one where they make Shinji fly robots. <laughs> yeah, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Robotech, same thing. But anyway, sorry, Tim, yeah. you were you were saying about Atlanta. All right. Well, anyway, I I really like this this uh, animated segment, but I was gonna move it on to the next one about where Marlo Thomas is uh, talking openly with. A bunch of kids about brothers and sisters and is it good to have brothers and sisters and blah 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 oh well we'll 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 uh so i'm, I'm okay sorry, yeah Tim. that's fine um we'll get to that because there were a couple of um segments that i was a little confused by um in in between atalanta and sisters and brothers um there was one there's a very short like minute long song about the sun um, oh yeah, that one is weird. Um, where that I'd one was in the. Rather be the sun because I shine with my own light as opposed to the moon, which just reflects it. You know that is very moonist. I'll say that's very celestial. <laughs> so so that one was in the book. I remember because I remember the illustration, and I assume that it's all about like, well, you shouldn't just do what other people. You shouldn't just copy other people. You should be your own person. Though when we watched it, my wife was all like. Uh, the 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 moon is feminine and the sun is masculine, so this is actually an anti-woman song. <laughs> oh yeah, like yeah, in... your wife is a woman. What does she know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, that's true because you know there's that song in uh, the Mikado, the sun whose rays are all ablaze, and the the moon uh, the sun is presented as uh, you know uh, masculine and blazing, and the moon is uh, diffident and feminine. Yeah. But I think yeah. like the moon flow <laughs> similarity every 28 days, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I guess, I guess that the message of it really is, is, uh, you know, it's better to shine with your own light than, um, that which is reflected by others. Hey man, follow your bliss. That's all I'm saying. Which is maybe a little obtuse for children. Well, that's, yeah, why, they, that's is... why they use a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, some they they had to pad this out a little bit, so they were kind of like, ah, it's you know, throw throw a little bit of that in. Yeah, it's so short; it's literally a minute long. And then there's a then there's another minute long bit about helping, and I didn't get the point of this. Yeah, it was very strongly anti-helping, yeah. which I thought was unusual. It was very yeah, out of character for the rest of it. Well, it's a short animated segment about um, you know. Uh, boys and girls helping each other with different tasks and what I drew from it is like don't help people if you're a fuck up am I wrong yeah <laughs> you know that might that might be it is that you don't need to allow like everyone in if they're actively detracting from progress I can see how you would draw that message from it Th exactly. this is oh yeah it's basically this is uh, explaining the geek social fallacies <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like you don't you don't have to include everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, well, but I did like that it had that. Yeah, I liked that it, it brought back that like you know the puffy '70s animation. Right. Yeah, um, and basically, um, uh, large pie is destroyed. I know, which is yeah. terrifying to Mike. <laughs> mm. I liked it when they made the large pie. I liked that pie-making lady. That was good. Yeah, and she was going to eat that thing, but like just like have at it without any uh, sense of decorum. Just just dive into it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. I think that would have. It's a good message. Yeah. Yeah, I think kids need to hear that. Yeah, ex- exclude people who are like actively uh, destructive to your your progress, to, to the good work that you're doing. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, so next we come to uh, a couple of iterations of Sisters and Brothers, and this was on, um, Tim, do you want to describe uh, the first iteration of Sisters and Brothers? Yeah, this is... Uh, Marlo Thomas in a jungle gym talking very earnestly with children about sisters and brothers like um, what's it like having them are are they good or bad and <laughs> this one kid keeps recounting how like how his older brother would keep punching him but like he wouldn't <clears throat> use the word he, my older brother would like you know yeah he would mime getting struck in the chin multiple times yeah I'm like that's not cool now I really <laughs> want to hear from both of you, because I know both of you have siblings. You each come from families of three. I'm an only child, so I can't speak so to any of course, of this. So, of course, Jen says brothers and sisters are a big negative. Yeah, well, the, f- fuck, I didn't want them growing up. I know I had a great racket going on. Right. Rule. <laughs> but um, Tim comes from a family of three where he's the middle child. Mike, you are the, ol- the older brother, correct? Yes. Um, so, uh... I remember um, uh, I wanted a brother before I had one, and then when I had one, I was like, I feel the need to beat this thing up constantly. <laughs> like, uh-huh, like, I was just like, God, I just, this is so annoying. I don't know why. I just, I just you know. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, I think the, these kids are very articulate um, in describing, you know, I, I how think... they feel about their siblings. And I it seems that... like... I think that they've had a lot of time to think over their grievances is what it is. Right. Yeah. yeah that, well, you know, that, that having siblings correct. is such a, it is such a, well, you know, I mean, I love my brother. He's an asshole. Still love him, but. Uh, right. Um, I feel like yeah, you, it's... Tim, you and Mike's brother would get along very well. Yeah. Two younger brothers. Probably. Two, yeah. Because. Yeah. Um, well, Mike and Mike, I don't get along. Because Mike, your brother is the middle child, correct? That, that's right, yes. Oh, poor bastard. He, he also has a very finely uh, attuned sense of injustice in this world. Well, there you have it. And that, that, is, that is middle child syndrome right yeah. there. <laughs> I like the, uh, and again, there's an interesting article about not only is the middle child like kind of the uh, invisible child, but also because um, fewer couples are having multiple like children, like more than two anyway, the middle child is also literally disappearing. An endangered species. Yeah, so typical. You know, is all I can say to that. And uh, you know, not only is Tim a middle child, he's even left-handed. Yeah, it just. Oh. Yeah, it just goes on. <laughs> he got uh, all the recessive genes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that I like is um, Marlo's kind of fool's errand of getting nuanced opinions out of children, where at <laughs> one point she's asking the kid, you know, the younger uh, boy who keeps getting by his older brother is like well she's like well deep down like you know with like way way down like you know deep in your heart like you still like you still love your brother and he's like no just this a resounding like 
just from all the kids are just like no no i don't like <laughs> no yeah like this is awful and i'm just like well you know from the mouths of babes again mike did you yeah. love your siblings when you were uh, a young sprout um yeah nah, right. you know um I think the big difference, the thing is, because I grew up moving around a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I didn't have any, you know, I, I would know, didn't have a lot of friends. I'd know people for like a year and then move on. So my siblings were like the only constant in my life growing up. So I'm probably closer, I was probably closer to them growing up than <clears throat> most people who have siblings. But at the same time, like, yeah, I, I fucking couldn't stand them for like, you know. At least until I left for college. See, and um, again, it's the the purity of the, the the child's message, where they don't feel a way to sugarcoat it. They're just like, yeah, you you love your brother, there, right? No. Yeah. The next sketch is the musical version of Brothers and Sisters. Yes. Um. There was choreography in a park. That was about what I got out of it. Well, I got I got a little more out of it because taking all of this together, you know, the Miz Foundation doing you know, culturally aware work of smashing gender stereotypes and encouraging people to be true to themselves, to be, you know, free to be you and me. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, 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 emotionally supportive, you know, singing and, and positive messages. Um, meanwhile, like Vietnam was still going on for another year. Yes. This is the same year that Nixon resigned. Yes. So mm. for all their, like, you know, rosy, happy notions about being comfortable in the self, like, the world's, like, falling apart around them. Yes. So I'm wondering yeah. what the efficacy of this video disc was. Well, maybe it's a... Uh... Wow. Well, I mean, look at the horrible age that we live in. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, the like, media that yeah. we consume. Like, the president was, it may have resigned while this was in production, and they're talking about, hey, love your brother. And it's like, yeah, but, like, I don't really know what I can do with that. Well, maybe it's optimism in the face of deep pessimism, much as we have today, because, you know, like, we know that 2018 is truth, truly a filthy year of our Lord. Um, yeah. And a lot of our media is intensely escapist. I mean, you know, look at the superhero genre this is a little more earnest where it's a plea for interpersonal understanding i don't know i i mean and we're kind of in a we're kind of in a post earnestness era you know i know yeah because um jim varney he died years ago we're far into the post earnest era (laughs) which i think mike and i need to do an episode about the earnest series yes i agree Mike, are you up for that? Those were good movies. Okay, cool. Well, I don't know how interesting it'll be when we just agree with each other, but yes. <laughs> um, actually, though, I think you uh, you guys are saying how the intense pessimism of the, the uh, era in which this movie was made, this yes. uh, Free to Be You and Me. Um, and I actually think like it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, <clears throat> I think... What you part of what you have to look at is is this? Well, I guess I guess what I think is, um, you know, I remember 
seeing this thing is when I was a kid from my parents who were very kind of hippie-ish, uh, you know, who had come of age in the 60s and kind of like as you're moving to the 70s, all those people who like, you know, came of age in the 60s were getting to the point where they were, you know, having kids and, and um, you know, getting jobs and all that stuff. And I think even if, as, if the world was really shitty, there was a sense like we're going to take all those lessons we learned in the 60s and we're actually going to create a society that works now. Uh, you know, we're gonna make, we're gonna make it where ge- there's no genderos, man, and races live in harmony, all that stuff. And um, Reagan gets elected. You know, <laughs> didn't really work. Uh, yeah, I, I think well, you know, these things were made by people who are generally like well-to-do, like you know, cishet white people who I don't didn't really appreciate the uh, the amount of work that would actually go into uh, you know creating a just society. And well, yeah, um, and again, it's. And it's, this and this is kind of it. It does kind of reflect, you know, like not, a bumper. It's like a have a nice day bumper sticker. It's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thanks, I'm cured. Yeah, because not to t- not to <laughs> take anything away from uh, Marlo and Letty Cotton Pagrevin and all the very well-meaning second wave feminists who made this, but um, this is kind of a uh, a very sunny um, white uh, media connected liberal version of a vision for a new society. I mean, uh, is there any discussion of class in the special? No. Yeah, it's yeah. Entirely, well, you... It's entirely, it's um, entirely, well, it's entirely identity based. Well, and well, the other thing too that I think of <clears> is <throat> like, if if you want to look back to the '60s, like you can picture um, what like the uh, Kent State <clears throat> shooting. Yes. Um, and you can picture, you know, like flower children putting like. A, a daisy in the rifle of like a uh, national guardsman's you know, down the barrel of a national guardsman's rifle, and it's like, on one hand, that is a powerful sentiment, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, you are fighting a, a an, an implacable enemy. Yeah, you are fighting like an yeah. automatic weapon with with positive vibes, and yeah. and yeah. think of the efficacy of that in you know brass tacks terms. Yeah, which I guess um you know and. Really, the strength of the protests of the time came from uh, the collective protests, like the amount of people, um, you know, protesting, um, you know, uh, against uh, racial injustice or imperialist wars. And, you know, to boil it down to the single symbol of a single daisy is maybe missing the point. Right. Well, and I mean, on the one hand... <clears throat> I've got a lot of hands going here. Um, on the one hand, yeah, it is positive to like put that message out there, mm-hmm. or rather, it isn't positive; it is useful to mm-hmm. put the message out there about like these are the ideas that we think are worth um, fighting for. Yes. But there does eventually come the fighting of it. Like you know, it isn't like this. Marla Thomas isn't you know throwing a Molotov cocktail into the you know windshield of a police van, but. That'd be so sick, dude. Yeah, but there may be a point when that sort of thing has to happen. Yeah, but it's how do you how do you get from from one to the other? Yeah, if it comes to it. Sorry to bother you, Marlo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, it is it's sunny '70s optimism, and you know, where does it all lead ultimately? I guess where it leads is. Uh, the next segment, uh, Three Wishes, which um, I think I, I missed the point of this one, but maybe uh, Tim and Mike can figure it out. It's about uh, Well, it's... Uh, okay. Well, Take here's it, here's what I think it is. Um, so it's basically the story of, like, this girl, and she finds a penny, and she uh, it's her, <gasps> her friend is like, 
this penny is it can give you and she's like fuck off no it can't um and i wish she would go away and he leaves and she and then she talks to her mom and her mom says you know good friends are important so she's like i wish i had my friend back and then the kid other kid comes back um so i i don't really think it i i don't think this this is another one that doesn't really feel like it fits into the special it feels like this is just like they were like oh it's got a good message good vibes throw it in um <laughs> The closest I can think of to the the point of the to fit into the gender dynamics of Free to Be You and Me is it's about a girl and a boy who are friends, and maybe this is to show like, hey, boys and girls can be friends. You know, they don't have to just fuck; they can just be friends. <laughs> I don't think that's even in there. I think it is just about the the power of friendship, which you know, again, it's not bad. Well, yeah, like, but, but this is the point that Jen made is like. A lot of these are safe sentiments. Yes, again, in in common with a lot of children's media, um, yeah. and this is a point which Mike has also made on the show is that uh, again, like the message of children's media is not going to be particularly controversial. Yeah, this was in the book, though. I remember this one in the book. So the penny has magic powers, is what I'm getting from it. No, God, jeez. <laughs> uh, well, a couple of details that I thought were interesting. Um, uh, well, first off, the the two protagonists are black. Yes. Although they live in a really nice neighborhood. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you say? All that cross hatching. Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, so kind of reflective of that inner city um, Sesame Street uh, aesthetic. Yeah, and this was also common to a lot of educational films of the time. Is um, you did get kind of um, multicultural casting and yeah, um, very what what you would yeah settings what you would use <clears throat> you what um, what you would euphemistically refer to as urban. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to to use the shorthand, right? Um, but a, a couple of details of that again fitting with that. Uh, impressing an urban aesthetic onto it. Um, one of the things that, that isn't um, uh, that is unspoken <clears throat> is that you know the girl lives at home with her mom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like Single no. Mother. Yeah. No dad. Like I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And it may just be like Tim, the dad's at work, or he doesn't figure into the story. Quit fucking reading into it. <laughs> which I mean, again, that's that's me imposing my viewpoint onto it, which could be horseshit. Um, well, I know what I would like to hear uh, is a white man uh, expounding at length about fatherlessness in the black community. That seems like a very helpful Yeah, discussion. I surely know a, a <laughs> bunch about it. And the other thing, too, another interesting of you know, like... Um, what I think we really should talk about is that when she uh, wishes her friend to go away, that's that's really a good example of black on black violence, which is the real problem. Yeah, that, now we're getting now we're getting deep here. Um, <clears throat> the other bit of like the other detail that I really like of of uh you know black seventies culture in this is her friend's name. Her friend's name is Victorious. Yeah. Not just Victor, fucking Victorious. And that boy grew up to be future. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly it's a better name than what <clears throat> Lawrence Fishburne's name in um Boys in the Hood. His name is literally Furious. <laughs> like oh, oh, John Singleton, I get it. It's like a, it's like a metaphor, but not a metaphor at all. Uh. Rare single entendre. 
Yeah, so that's that's three wishes. Yeah. And about then, friendship in yeah. the urban environment. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, After that, we go to a, a key, key party. party. <laughs> <laughs> the next segment um, takes part at a, a fondue party called uh, Circle of Friends. <laughs> yeah. um, Mike, do you want to describe the next segment? Wait, wait, you cut out there. <clears throat> what is it? What is the next segment? I don't even remember it. Uh, um, circle of friends. Uh, there's Chris Christopherson and Marlo and her friends. Yep. Oh, don't they just like sing and they kind of dance in that playground and then one by one kind of vanish? Well, yeah. Um, no, that's the, the brothers and sisters one. They, this is all just like at someone's like, you know, summer house in Tahoe. Someone's, someone's oh! shag carpeted living room with a corner fireplace. Oh, I think I stopped paying attention because they're just basically doing like a like a bean, isn't it? They're just kind of yeah. like they've got their guitar out and they're just kind of singing and you know, it's it's yeah. very chill. Um, yeah, and but... isn't that always the nadir of the party is when someone pulls out a fucking acoustic guitar? Yeah, it's like all right, yeah, everyone, time dancing. to go home. It's like why did they even invite Chris Christopherson? Well, you know what you're gonna get, like yeah, yeah, you're gonna get somebody tap dancing to Mr. Jones. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I but guess this was... it's, a, it's it's like Miami Connection. It's a song about friendship. Right. For or against uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. So then yeah, they, after then, that. That was the end, wasn't it? Was that the end of the show? Yeah, yeah. because then we go back to the um well, the carousel in Central Park and everybody rides their horses. You have to have no, a horse no. to be a part of the society, by the way. Wow, and yeah, oh, right, you're right. One of those rich bitches. Well, there are a couple <laughs> things that you left out. First off, I wanna add an aside. Yes. Marlo sings like Princess Leia on Life Day. <laughs> I don't wanna point that out. Um and then after that, the last segment we return to the babies. Where they they are departing. Oh, oh yes. yeah, the babies. We, I I'm so glad that you mentioned that because um, that's I think Tim has a point that he wants to make about the baby segment. The, just just the point that we've stayed with these babies for this entire video, and now um, they've started their lives and they're departing for good. They will never see each other again. Yeah, that's heavy. That, that's kind of yeah. That that was kind of a uh, I don't know. I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. That's yeah. actually kind of. Um, melancholy a little bit yeah um the but being they, they they had they they ended it on a joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. i'll send you a book no he's uh marlo uh little baby marlo says i'm in the book and then All little right. baby mel says i can't read <laughs> what, what's great that about that point. is um when that happened uh, my wife was like what what is that what is what does that mean and i was like they're referring to the phone book which is an archaic thing people used to have you know Wait, so, uh, so your wife didn't get that she was talking about the phone book? No, apparently, like, well, you know, we're we're like hip young millennials. We've never heard of this like phone book, this thing for old people. Well, technically, we're um, like the tail end of Generation X, and like I remember the fucking phone book. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, I think I she just wasn't yeah. familiar with the. Uh, the, the phrase I'm in the book and so it didn't really click when she heard it what it referred to um, uh, yeah. so I, I think that's really what it was because when I said yeah it means a phone book she was like oh yeah I've, I've, I've heard of phone books I remember phone books yeah so it ends it ends on a melancholy note with uh, these two friends parting ways perhaps forever definitely yeah, forever. Actually, yeah. yeah definitely forever I don't remember Unless any of the babies out I was born in the, in the same hospital on the same day or something Oh, that'd be kind of kind of a coincidence. Yeah. Hmm. No, yeah. Um, 
But you know, um, yeah. I mean, because I don't, I never, I never found any of the babies I was in the hospital with. So yeah. <laughs> he hunted Can them you down. Imagine he hunted them down and killed them all. There could be a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so like Highlander. That, <laughs> that brings us to the end of free to be you and me. Everyone rides off on their carousel horse, and we're left to contemplate uh, the cultural impact of the record, the book, and the TV special. Yeah, it, you know, it starts you on this journey, it spins you up, it, it turns you all around, and it sets you back down on your carousel. Yeah, um, so looking back from 2018 to 1974, um, you know, I haven't noticed every little boy carrying a doll around. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I, yeah, well, yeah. You know, there are well, you know, fascist forces working constantly, so. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, did uh, well, do you feel like the book had an impact on you growing up? Um, you know, it's funny because, like, um, as a child, I I didn't think about it very much. But um, as an adult, looking back on my childhood, I feel like my parents were very much inspired, if not by this particular project, by the um, you know, the ethos of. Uh, free to be you and me because you know they were like i said kind of hippies in the 60s and then kind of brought that forward um because like we had this book when i was a kid and when i was a kid uh my parents you know they bought me a doll they bought me a you know i had a doll and i had a truck uh, i remember this very clearly as a child because uh, my mom when she was a kid she wanted a truck apparently and her parents wouldn't buy it for her so she decided that when she had a kid i would have the choice and, um, you know, I was very much like, I like trucks, you know, as a kid. So I, okay. I pretty much gravitated towards boy toys. But, you know, the fact that like, that was one of the things that she, that my parents, like, you know, I remember that sort of thing being a part of my upbringing. So they were definitely like, inspired by, um, I think that whole, uh, you know, very, that optimism of the time and the idea that like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have a, we're, we're gonna, we're going to raise our kids so that it's not like, you know, beholden to the uh, past. We're going to the future, um, which, you know, I mean, a as you can see, the 70s, you know, the, all the optimism of the 70s got quashed when we moved into the 80s. But, you know, <laughs> eh, well, shit. Yeah. And this um, this show was apparently followed by a later special. Um... Do what you're told. It was yeah, <laughs> a very different vibe to it. Wait, sorry. I. Wait, was, you cut out there for a second. Were you talking about the, the sequel? The, yeah, there was a sequel called Free to Be a Family, which I believe was a co-production between um, United States and um, a Soviet media company. But that came out in about okay. 1988, and I've never seen it. Have you? Um, yeah, I have seen this. Oh. Uh, was it a so, nuclear uh, family? Yes. Here's the story what? about that one. I saw that one many years ago because... Um, my wife was briefly obsessed with Penn and Teller, and they appear in this thing. And, Seriously? Um, That's yes. the connection? That is the connection. Uh, so here's the thing. Free to be you and me, um, you know, it is a little dated in its, um, you know, approach. It's the, the, the look, the clothes, the music. Um, but but ultimately, I think it kind of holds up. You watch mm -hmm. it today, and it's still kind of... A nice thing. It's 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 um, you know the the message still rings true mostly. Uh, free to be a family. Um, I won't say that it's cynical, 
but it's um it feels like uh it it does feel extremely dated uh it feels like they were like okay uh 70s we're gonna teach kids about gender 80s we're gonna teach kids what's the important thing now uh the cold war so what we're gonna do (laughs) is we're gonna have like we're gonna broadcast like uh, uh, to an audience of American children and an audience of Russian children, and we're gonna show them American pop culture and Russian pop culture, and this will create, you know, uh, this will make them all realize we're all just one big family, you know. Wow. And, and family's um, <laughs> Yeah. So basically, uh, American pop culture at that time was uh, Penn and Teller and Ernestine, the telephone operator. Uh, so if you think that's funny then you're gonna love this thing um and russian pop culture was just like i I don't know babushka dolls and weird puppet bears it was like shit like you're watching (laughs) it it's like oh the russian it's like this is apparently like still like you know 1700 over there in russia or something so okay like you have you you did that that's really funny because like you had i mean you had soviet media you you know you and you had you know uh directors like Tarkovsky and, you know, Alexander Tushko, but, you know, instead we're going to show you, like, weird babushka dolls? Yeah, Yeah. well, also keep in mind, I have a feeling that the people who made this special were mostly American, so they were like, yeah, let's not show any of the good Russian stuff. We're going to make sure the Americans... Where it's like, we don't want want the Russians to have anything that's going to make Ernestine look, you know, uh, bad. So... uh, (laughs) Free to be a family starring... Dr. Manhattan on MX <laughs> Missile. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Like the event basically had like a uh, an unspoken uh, sub, um, a, a subversive message, like a a hidden agenda. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah where um the agenda of free to be you and me is uh you know kind of like a humanistic message. And it's very front and center. Yeah, and then um, what I'm getting about uh, free to be a family is um, U.S. imperialism. And I mean, yeah, Billy Joel it... covered that much better with, you know, do the Russians love their children too? That was Sting. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, I must be thinking of a different one. Yeah, um, Billy Joel had um, The Bridge, oh, okay. where he sang a song about Leningrad. Right. Like, well, you know you. what? Jeez. He met a guy who was a clown in Leningrad or something, and then they embraced, and he made Billy Joel's daughter laugh. Well, we all know that what really ended the Cold War was, uh, you know, that, uh, what was it, Peace in Our Time video? By Big Country? The, by Big Country, that's the one. Was it Was it Peace in Our Time? What was the no, fucking video the they world. did? <laughs> it wasn't the Berlin Wall. It was uh, something on MTV. Wait, how did Berlin also, that one episode where Alf uh, talked to the president and told him to lighten up on the Ruskies. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should t- maybe we should track down free to be a family. And... Yeah. Well, speaking of other like specials that may or may not have aged well, I also remember an environmental like special from I don't know. It would have been like 1990 or so. And the only thing is, I remember that there's a segment with. Um, Dustin Hoffman arguing for why don't we just live in a mall? Like even if the climate shit, it's just like, well, just live in the mall. You got air conditioning there. You got everything you need. I mean, Tim, was this some birthday special? Yeah, that would have been it. Was he being really okay? Deeply sarcastic. He was being the devil's advocate, basically. (laughs) Okay, 
Um, actually, I, I think if, if that's the one I, I am thinking, you probably should track that one down because it's fucking loony. Um, Perfect. That's the one where like, uh, it's like the Earth Day special and like mother, like nature appears in the sky and is like, you're all going to die because of the ozone layer. And then she like, she, she's dies or doesn't die, but she passes out. So they take her to a hospital and have her like on, on, um, you know, uh, on, Life, life support and it's like you wait you have the meta the metaphor mother nature on life support in a hospital because of the ozone it's it's very weird um yeah i'm gonna see if I but can i i yes. think it's a unique i mostly remember that uh um harold ramus appears in it as waste busters and um he Perfect. he harasses um nathan thurm a, a character played by martin short on saturday night live at the time who I'm sure was was very well liked at that point, but has oh. completely fallen into obscurity since. Oh, that like I'm not being defensive. You're the one who's being defensive. That guy. That yeah, that guy. That's oh, the that one. guy's great. Again, not that a millennial would care. But <laughs> <I think it's, laughs> like... Well, we might have to. You know, I think we might have to track down free to be a family and this other environmental special thing. The Earth Day special. Because it, it's kind of we're kind of taking a little journey on the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah, you do not want to find out how it ends. Oh fuck yeah, um, yeah. So what I'm getting about um, free to be you and me is you can debate the cultural impact of it. It certainly seems to have stuck with a lot of people because there are so many people who look back fondly on the the special and the the book and the the record. And, you know, people still remember the songs, um, and nobody remembers the the sequel that came in the late '80s. It just did not have any kind of cultural impact like its predecessor which i think is interesting well it's because it, yeah it was a cynical 80s um misadventure it, yeah uh, like uh u.s foreign yeah. policy right yeah I'm, I'm picking up a theme here <laughs> yeah i mean i guess the 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 humanistic universal message of free to free to be you and me still resonates with people and yeah it's like you do you yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, you know, we keep we, on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we picked on it as being, um, you know, like other children's media, like being um, very uh, uncontroversial. But you know, maybe it resonates with people. Well, I'm not saying don't yeah. do it. Well, I mean, well, no, I think yeah, it, exactly. it. Honestly, um, part of it is looking back on it now. We look at it and it's like, yeah, this is pretty. You know, it's pretty innocuous. But um, I think if at the time. It probably wasn't. I think uh, when I looked it up a bit, there was quite a few like angry, like, um, you know, televangelists who were like, this is going to make kids, you know, boys gay. I don't like it. Um, mm. So at the time, it, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't completely uncontroversial. Well, is that maybe an argument against this kind of uh, cultural messaging? Because, you know, if you're not making boys queer en masse, like, what have you really achieved? I'm amazed yeah. that people think that media has that effect. Like, is that it is so pervasive that you can just like Manchurian candidate someone into being gay or something? Or yeah. Well, West keep in Hollywood mind, uh, this was in the '70s. It was the monoculture back then. Right. Yeah, and you know, certainly the the culture is fragmented into a million splinters. I mean, you know, um, Tim just got a new TV, and we were boggling at the the panoply of media that was available to yeah. us. It it is unending. Yeah, you can watch literally any niche thing that you want. Yeah. So you this know, episode is brought to you by Roku. I like to <laughs> <add that one. laughs> 
It's but a yeah, bewildering that's... array. And, you know, that's, you know, um, our show is certainly about, uh, you know, obscure forgotten media, but it's also a question that I keep asking myself every time that I do an episode. Like, what really is the, the impact of media? Like, you know, do messages trickle down to a point where they influence people's behavior? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm still asking that fucking question. Well, yeah. I have well, some uh, very close Russian friends on Facebook who <laughs> would, would like to tell you that, you know, there's no way to influence people's opinions via media. Well, you know, I saw a cartoon. targeted media pies. I saw a cartoon of Bernie Sanders as a muscular strongman, and that influenced me very heavily to pull the lever for a third party in the last election. It's because you're a self-hating feminist, Jen. That's why. <laughs> I mean, Maybe your, your Russian friend should have watched a little thing called Free to Be a Family. Yeah, then he would have known. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's Free to Be You and Me. Uh, is there anything else that we want to say about... Um, Probably Marlo Thomas's most enduring work, maybe even more than that girl. Um, well, you know, I think that this is definitely a, a product of its time. Uh, I think it reflects a certain kind of optimism that was in the air in the uh, 70, probably in the early 70s that, you know, uh, and has never been in the air since. Um, yeah, well, you know, having, deeply, have, like we said earlier, a deeply pessimistic uh even malaise-filled era with uh, yeah. sunny, hopeful media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, and, we, you know, all is not lost now. We have all about that base. That's a very positive <laughs> message. <laughs> I like the message of that. I think that is a good message. <laughs> See, it's got Mike's approval, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's all you need, really. Um, but but uh, and I, I you know, what the thing is, like, maybe if uh, um, maybe if we had a, a free to be you and me for this new uh, um, this new generation, maybe uh, we would have some optimism for the future. Yeah, because, you know, slap a hashtag in front of it. Well, we don't have free to be you and me anymore. We have um, Peppa Pig getting uh, multiple unwanted tooth extractions in youtube videos right uh, so uh, so are we recommending to our listeners like find a ced player <laughs> buy a copy of free to be you and me and watch it well yeah if on you want... whatever move whatever tv you have that still supports coaxial in okay if you want to if you want to do it right um you will uh sit down on your shag carpeting you will uh, put this on. Melt some fondue. You'll put this on. <laughs> get a get a get a VHS tape of this and put it in your top loading uh, VCR. Or, or preferably Betamax because it has more line <laughs> resolution. Yeah, and uh, make sure that you have a console TV and like a big wooden cabinet. It was uh, it was of its time and it inspired uh, a generation of parents to try a different way to raise their kids, and um, you know. And if then that had caught on, just say "fuck it." You're not getting a doll. Yeah, and and what do you? Yeah, mean? generation of queers. <laughs> yeah. Woo! <laughs> so, are we posting this on the YouTube account, or does the copy already exist that people can find? Um, actually, um, like I said earlier, the album has never been out of print, and uh, "Free to Be You and Me" the TV special is also available on DVD very easily. All right, great. Yeah. So, yeah, we're actually talking about something you can fucking watch. <laughs> you can actually find through legitimate means. Yeah. 
Thanks for coming on, Mike. This was a great episode. Yeah, thanks for I having me. Really well. Yeah.